0: out there in podcast land and in Facebook land on the interwebs. We are back for another episode of the Weekly Impact Podcast. Um, Daniel and I are back as always. Pastor Daniel and I am Brent Smith and we are joined and blessed once again by the presence of Michael Miller. He is our E-Kids director here at the church, Uh, joined us last week, um, came back again this week. Uh, We were having a little bit of trouble finding a guest. This is our week um, every month that we do that we end up being short on a a guest out of the staff members that could come in and join us. So he was nice enough last minute, last night to say, sure, I'll come in. Um, He kind of likes being on the podcast with us. I do. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. (laughs) We miss him being with us on a more regular basis, but uh, life is as it is right now, right? That's right. It's all and, good. And it's, it's good. good. Yeah, it is good. We just miss you. Um, so, guys, thank you for joining us again. Today is Tuesday, November 5th. Tomorrow's my 40th birthday.
1: Wow. Whoa! Daniel. <laughs> Feliz cumpleaños, man. Well, Holy no, Fajitas. We, we Holy to, Fajitas. We have, <laughs> wow. 40? We have to do it. Let's do it. Happy oh. birthday
2: to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. <laughs>
3: yeah. Happy birthday, dear Brett. Happy birthday to you.
0: I'm going to slink down in my seat. (laughs) That's the most uncomfortable thing every year. Uh, Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. (laughs) But uh, anyway, uh, guys, uh, it is Tuesday, November 5th, and today we are on Exodus 2. We have left the land of Genesis, and we have now moved into the book of Exodus. Mm-hmm. So, the land of Genesis. That's the what land
1: of Genesis. You know, I, I feel like this is like a theme park thing. Like we've <laughs> podcast land and fantasy land and the land of Genesis. There's lots of lands out there, there is, that I like to I inhabit. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh, so, gosh.
0: Exodus 2. So um, it's a brand new book as we're moving into this. So do one of you guys or both of you guys want to give us a setup of what to expect, kind of a uh, a preview um, a teaser of not just the chapter for today of Exodus 2, but of the book of Exodus in general for those who might not know yeah. much about it yet.
3: They Michael, did a terrible job of naming the book because it's a spoiler alert. You know? A little bit, yeah. I mean, Exodus, that's what, that's what happens. In this, I mean, sorry to, to break it to you guys, but these guys— The people of Israel leave. They leave, and, yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's it.
1: You should, well, he was saying that we need to kind of do like an intro to this, so I feel like, Michael, you need to do like a, an inner world—
0: in a land.
1: In a land where the Israelites have been enslaved for over four hundred years. A little baby is born, put in a basket, floated down a river, and saves the land. I think we should just talk that way through the whole podcast. Man, that would be fun. I think it would be exhausting. I think I would I would break character pretty quickly and lose the deep voice um so yeah the cool thing is we did just study this
3: and and i know i said that last week but what's cool right now is the way things have worked out for a few weeks is that in e-kids it has paralleled our chapter of day reading so like we i mean not exactly but like within a week or two so just a couple weeks ago we studied this this particular chapter yeah and we we've been studying through like the exodus but you know what really stinks is that in the, the month of November? So, spoiler alert. <laughs> we're, um, we're we're moving. You're fa- not doing Leviticus. No, we're not. And, and we're it's a we're, shame. And we're, skip, we're skipping some other stories too, and we're going to move right into uh, to, to talking about David, and then and then and then all the way to Daniel and the lions. end. so that's kind of a weird. It's not <clears> going in chronological or
1: biblical order. But one of know. my favorite stories. Of course,
3: it is <laughs> jerk.
1: It's, it's his name. Thing. Yeah, I know. Michael, he loves lo- loves the story when uh, Michael visits Mary, right? Yeah, is that your favorite story? <laughs> you know, it what? was it Michael just, or Gabriel? It could have been. I think it was Gabriel. Either was. Way, Michael's I'm just the warrior, not even right? Go. Yeah, yeah, you fight like the <clears throat> demon in Persia, right? That's yeah. pretty cool. Anyways, all right. So that's another story in da- the book of Daniel. <clears throat> <clears throat> all right, so let's do a uh, let's do kind of a summary of what's going on. So, um, oh, was that happening? <laughs> My bad. <laughs> we're, we're actually following instructions on this podcast Facebook Live land. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so uh, Abraham's family has now grown. It's now seventy people, and there's a famine in the land of Canaan, and so Jacob and all of his family. Uh, go to the land of Egypt where um, where Joseph is now second in command that's Jacob's son we've kind of all already gone through a lot of this Uh, but what's really interesting and I didn't really know about this even kind of until recently is that um, uh, through Genesis and through this time in Exodus that uh, God is really able to shape the nation of Israel because with the famine, with just the pressures of being so close in proximity to the Canaanites, it would have been very easily easy for the people of Israel to assimilate and to become part of them. And you kind of see that pressure happening uh, throughout like the story in Shechem. That's really awful. You know, it, it, their proximity to um, the Canaanites are, uh, is kind of having an effect on the family and is diluting a little bit of the family of God here. And so they are going to Egypt where it's a... Awful civilization in that they're extremely racist and they're extremely prejudiced against other people and they're very arrogant about their culture and their race that they would n- know there was no way for them to assimilate they would never assimilate there was no pressure at all to assimilate with any of the Israelites and so they grew and they flourished and this nation basically gets preserved in uh, in this land of Egypt um, and so all this is kind of transpiring. There's been 400 years that they have been in Egypt and now they've been put into slavery. Uh, and so uh, there's a new king, uh, a, a Pharaoh that has, uh, doesn't remember Joseph and all the things that Joseph has done to, uh, to benefit the land of Egypt. And, and so of course now that's 400 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So it's a long time. I mean, and I mean, then so the populations grow. I mean, they think that like by the time that the Exodus took place, there was about a million people, uh in that were Israelites. Uh so they have definitely grown. Uh it is not a small tribe of people that are walking through, especially when they're walking through the wilderness. <coughs> like it is a large group of people. Yeah. Um and so so yeah, so this is all kind of now we're getting to the point where um you know the the land has come uncomfortable that the Egyptians now see the Israelites as a threat, uh potentially especially if they get invaded by the Hittites. <coughs> Uh, that they could side with him, and they could it could be like the dissolution of the Egyptian culture. And so uh, they enslaved the uh, Israelites. Um, they used them to build monuments. The, period, the pyramids have already been built, so they're not building pyramids, but they're building monuments uh, and building up cities. And so you have all of this kind of stuff transpiring, and uh, God is still there. And he's still working, and he's listening, and he hears the cries of the Israelites. And so then enter uh, kind of Moses and, and his story and different things like that. So that's kind of a little bit of, I guess, the background of what's really been going on uh, between this kind of this relate this kind of issue between the Israelites and the Egyptians and the enslavement of the Israelites and uh, just the harsh treatment that they are, are receiving.
0: All right, did I miss anything? I don't think so. Okay. Did you? Um, so guys, I would ask you right before we go to the scripture here real quick, um, something that we wanted to start committing to because it was really beneficial when we did it a couple weeks ago, just ask you guys as you're watching on Facebook Live, take a second if you look at the video where the comments are down in the left hand corner, uh, there's a share button if you would share the uh, share the live stream as we're doing this, the Facebook Live I guess if you want to call it, but um, <clears throat> if you would share that around, sorry I just choked a minute ago and I'm having a little bit of trouble getting my voice back. But if you would take a second and share that, and then also if you're listening on the audio version of this podcast, um, please take a moment and um, share the podcast, subscribe, uh, give us a like, give us a comment if you would, Um, that always helps people find us. So if you value what we're doing here, if you would take a second and share it so others can find it as well, we would appreciate it. So anyway, um, we are going to get into today's scripture of Exodus 2 from the Dwell app. So here we go. Start it now and we'll be right back.
2: Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dowed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the weeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, He struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me, as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father rule he said how is it that you have come home so soon today they said an egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock he said to his daughters then where is he why have you left the man call him that he may eat bread And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew.
0: All right, and we're back. That was Exodus 2 from the Dwell app. Um, Just the beginning of the story, really. So uh, what did you guys want to touch on today with that?
3: One thing that I think was interesting kind of piggybacking on what you were saying before we read the scripture Daniel <clears throat> the theme of unity mm-hmm. see we we see that everybody's kind of broken up all these tribes are just kind of like well it's very tribal right and and i think i see something interesting that god keeps on doing with joseph he sticks the israelites right in into business in egypt now of course bad things happen they have to escape egypt but before that he sticks moses right in Pharaoh's house too. I think it's interesting that as, as people are being super tribal, and I understand that God is trying to develop his tribe, you know, mm-hmm. but if, as we read through old Testament scripture, we know that the, like prophecy and which is fulfilled that, that, you know, God would bring all nations, you know, to himself, like, and it, and it will be through the tribe of Israel. God has always had a plan of unity. And, and, but, it's interesting because Paul would have been, you know, one of those tribal guys. He talked about, "I'm the tribe of Benjamin," and all this stuff, you know. <laughs> but like, if you read his writings, he is all about unity, 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 unity. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's interesting that we see glimpses of that even as early as as Genesis and Exodus. Yeah. You know? So just that's just a thought that that came up to me with the reading and with, you know, with Daniel's comments. It's just just something that I was thinking about. Yeah, and a
0: lot of the things that I've seen so far this year, speaking out of this scripture, but for us current times, I've seen a lot of things in the church in the past few months, speaking so much on unity for this coming year, um, for that being a major theme that we're that we're heading into, which I really love. I mean, we've talked about that on this podcast before. We've talked about how it's such a integral need for the for the church to come together and stop being so divided. Because if we come together and we work together and we quit focusing on our differences, this world's going to change drastically.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> I mean it's no, it's no surprise that Jesus prayed for that specifically for uh, for the church when he was uh, when he was getting ready to be crucified. One of the last things that he prayed for specifically was unity. Because um, and even we saw that kind of with the Tower of Babel. Even though God seems kind of tongue in cheek when he says some of the stuff, but when the humanity becomes united, uh, it's it's powerful. I mean, there is there's something powerful that takes place here, and I think that. That that is, um, that you are seeing that you're seeing that 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 th- it almost feels threatening to Pharaoh when the Israelites have gotten so like large right. and unified, yeah. and and they're doing exactly what God has called them to do. It says basically when it says they were fruitful and they multiplied, it's exactly what God commanded Adam and Eve to do in the Garden of Eden, and and right. the call to humanity um, is to uh, to is to be fruitful, is to multiply, and I think that um, you know this is. We take a lot of the things that we read in genesis exodus a lot of the old testament the the stories that are that people are experiencing in the physical we can take it metaphorically and use it spiritually yeah um we're not building the nation of israel in goshen even though we have a goshen here uh that's not the plan (laughs) um it's uh, not goshen it's not yeah yeah so we're uh we're not building the nation of israel in goshen but what we can do is see how god is uniting us to then to multiply and to bring his kingdom uh, here and preserving in a lot of different ways um, uh, to uh, as 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 the danger of assimilation. So when if as <clears> is the, if the Israelites, if uh, Jacob's family would have assimilated completely into Canaan, they would have just basically adopted all of their beliefs yes. and all the systems yes. and the culture. And that's really easy to do. It's it's easy to to go with the tide than it is to swim upstream, right? And so if you are um, you know as our culture is uh, kind of shifting in radical ways, um, you know, it's easy to kind of assimilate to that. And, and so this is not, uh, uh, you know, kind of let's distance ourselves completely from uh, the culture because Jesus has already established the community. He's already established the kingdom of God. And so we're out now, you know, almost going into the promised land as in less, in less about I would feel about the pres- pres- preservation side of it. So anyways. That's, I don't know why we're going off on this tangent, but anyways. So, um. <laughs> well, it's,
3: it's, there's there some good points here, Daniel. I mean, it's not really a tangent. This is important, you know, when, we, when we're talking about unity, you know, because you I see there's this idea because to now we, we talk about unity, and, but then you see stories like this and, and you start seeing how that there's an exodus mm-hmm. that, that, that they are separating, right? And so, and then you talk about how like if they had unity at this point, then it could have been bad because they could have lost their faith altogether. So, like, I think what that does is, is that brings up something that we need to, to talk about because we're reading through the Old Testament. We've read through the old, the, the New Testament so often. We're reading the Old now, and we've read through the New. That we need to talk about some of these differences. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, one of the things that I'm seeing here with unity
1: <clears throat>
3: is that yes, in the New Testament we see more unity. Yes, in the Old Testament we see more separation. One way that I'm learning to read the scriptures is is to to kind of ask a question with when you see God doing something that you say, wait a minute, the New Testament doesn't seem like God does that kind of thing. Ask why, and, and ask what would have happened if God hadn't did what he did.
1: Hmm.
3: So, like in this Exodus story, if if let's say that that God decided to let them be unified with Egypt hmm. instead of you know, letting them. What would have happened? Well, they would have continued to be slaves. Maybe they, they would have assimilated into their culture. You know, it would have ended up worse than it ended up. Mm. And then that's a question I've had to answer for the, the kids uh, on Sunday as we were reviewing some of the stories of Moses. They're like, well, well Michael, why did, why did God, you know, kill all, you know, all the, these Egyptians that were chasing them out of, out of the Red Sea? Why did he kill all them? He let, he let the Israelites go through. Why did he have to kill everybody? You know, and we have to look at those questions and ask, okay, what happened if God hadn't acted? Mm-hmm. Well, then the the Egyptians would have it would have what would have been the purpose of even crossing the river? The Egyptians would have caught up to mm-hmm. him and killed everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so again, I, I think that as we read through these difficult stories in the Old Testament, we need to ask ourselves, what would have happened if God hadn't acted?
1: Mm-hmm. And there's um, there's a little uh, God is is working globally here, and you can see that. Um that not only did uh God preserve the nation of Israel in Egypt, he was also giving the the Canaanites an opportunity to repent. Like it says that when the story of Abraham that he says that the that the sins of the Amorites and the Canaanites hadn't kind of uh, hadn't reached a boiling point. And so that was like 500 years where God was being patient with yep. with this culture. And we know that these cultures are really wicked. Like, I think when we look at the plagues, we can think like, God is awful. Like, he's doing like terrible things and killing like the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. Uh, and I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Uh, we haven't even okay. gotten there yet. But But what we see is that like Pharaoh... Man, like his insecurity about his ability to be king and and hold power has him kill every single boy that's born. Every single boy is thrown into the Nile. You know, and I mean like that is awful. Like that is like that's terrible that that scene and then like we see like that same kind of insecurity happen even in the story of Jesus where Herod goes and kills every single boy that's yep. two and under in Bethlehem. And like and so this uh, the culture of violence and this culture of, uh, of power and might makes right uh, is so destructive to humanity. And so there is something where eventually uh, these actions come to a boiling point and God punishes. And God will punish this, this culture, this Egyptian culture, for uh, its enslavement of people. So it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a society that's full of injustice. And we see that God doesn't want a society like this. So when he starts laying out the commandments that he gives uh, Moses and the Israelites and the covenant that he that He makes with them uh, through his commandments, he wants a society that's full of social justice, that values life, um, and that uh, s- that loves and serves other people. And we see all of that kind of taking place here. And so God has to almost set a people aside to be able to model that so that they will be able to show that in, in Israel— um, they don't do a great job. I mean, they fail immediately <laughs> when they, after they get the commands and we'll find out about that later. Spoiler alert. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so this is kind of a, uh, it, it's, 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 it's interesting that God is, is doing his best to give humanity the opportunity to do exactly what he designed and intended intended them to be. Um, but, there is this pull in this the sin corruption that has just kind of tainted humanity, and, it, and each civilization rises up and becomes like this. Babylon was the first, so Tower of Babel is kind of the first civilization that we see that rises up and rises up against God, and then it crumbles, and then we have, uh, now we have, you know, a good picture of Egypt and their rise to power, and then, you know, what will eventually kind of crumble there, and, mm-hmm. and then the new Babylon that we have, and then the Assyrians and the Persians and the Greece and Rome, and all these things we see see all these civilizations rising up to power and they become very barbaric in nature. Um, and so, uh, but God is constantly trying to uh, rescue humanity and try to show humanity what he's designed us to do. And, but he's given humanity the opportunity to choose how they're going to build their civilization. And so uh, that's what God, I think, is doing here is, is he's building a civilization to hopefully show the rest of the world what he's like and what it looks like uh, yeah. to, to follow him. Uh, so,
3: so, so as we've started with uh, some things before the story <laughs> and a lot of things after the story, um, with the, with what we see here in chapter two, mm-hmm. um, I taught the kids, like I said just a few weeks about this. Our our um, our theme this month, well, last month was uh, courage, mm-hmm. and uh, so we we talked about how how different characters in, this, in these stories were courageous, and then this story here in chapter two. I find three people that I think were extremely courageous and they're not expected. Mm-hmm. Um, Moses' mom. Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to imagine, like, the craziness that she was in. <clears throat> now, we don't see any, really much about Moses' dad here. We just hear uh, his, his mom making a decision that that mom decides, you know what, I don't want, I don't want my baby to die I want to put this baby out in the river and just trust that God will do something with it. Like, yeah.
0: imagine that for a moment. You've got to be desperate. I mean, like, beyond desperate to, to choose to put your child in a basket and send it down the river rather than, and, than and, try and to keep it with you and keep it alive. And on I mean, that, you're, it's you're three, risking it's your own three life. Month
1: old. <clears throat> it's a three-month-old yeah. baby. Uh, I think about having a it like a three, breastfeed. Yeah, like it's a three-month-old yeah. child and then just putting them in a basket and floating them down the river and just having so much faith. That and trust that God is going to take care of that child. That's that's amazing. And then the the next character, another female, another mm-hmm.
3: woman in the story, really uh, probably a child at this point, is Miriam, his his sister. Mm-hmm. We kind of forget her in the story. She steps out. Now keep in mind, this is dangerous, right? People are seeking to to kill. You know, these kids. So this kid go, goes out, you know, watches her baby brother float down, kind of watches after him to see where he ends up. You realize how dan- they could have just captured her and killed her. And they could have captured Moses' mom and killed her for what she did. And these people, it's not just like the, the risk of putting your baby out there in the river. That's not just what it is. You're risking your, your very life for, yeah. by doing these these things and by defying what Pharaoh says. So so that's another just ridiculous amount of uh, of courage from a child. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we can see, like, as, as parents, how courageous we can be, but we also see how children can have ridiculous amounts of courage, too. And then the third character is one that I think we most of us don't even think about, and that's Pharaoh's daughter. Yeah, that's because, the one I wanted to talk about. Because about. We, we, want, we want to be like, well, she's one of the bad guys. You know what? <laughs> think about what she does. She sees she knows this is a Hebrew baby. We see in scripture that she knows it's a Hebrew baby, right? Mm. She defies her father. Mm. She defies the father slash the king. Sla- That's a no slash a god. I mean, they worship Pharaoh like a god. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She defies this to do the right thing, which is re- is amazing. It's just simply amazing to me that she does this. So we see three women that have extreme courage to do the right thing and i think that's an awesome example to us as we you know deal with really difficult decisions yeah. you know can can we make decisions and, and do the 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 right thing you know and it's not sometimes the right thing is very easy because we see in scripture do this don't do this right. but sometimes Morality is not that black and white, and it's hard to figure out. Imagine having to, to decide what is the right thing. Just I mean, should what would, would it have been the right thing for for Moses's mom to just keep Moses there and hide him un, under the the bed? You know, think well, God will protect him. What what is the right thing? How did she know? Sometimes courage is difficult. Mm-hmm. So uh, just just the fact that she could figure out the right thing and have the courage to do it to me is the The most amazing part of, of this chapter.
0: Yeah, and th- Moses was, a like you said, a three-month-old baby, so she had spent three months with this child. It wasn't like yeah. she just had him and just got rid of him before she could bond with yeah. him or anything, but she had already done that bonding
1: time with him and still chose to give him up, so that's, yeah, that had to be super and I, tough. And I think that... This, to me, speaks as I wouldn't have probably drawn from this without having kids and being a parent. The uh, There's such a challenge to want to control every aspect of our kids' lives, our, their safety, everything. And, and that can be so maddening, especially with a baby, um, with so many unknowns, whether they get sick or different things like that. Um, one of the things that we had to learn very early on, and with our son Judah, was to trust God with the things that we can't control when it comes to Him. Yeah, um, you know, he was not sleeping at all. We've we shared the story before. He was not sleeping at all, and so uh, he ended up. He was so much more comfortable sleeping on his belly, right? And they were like, you know, you, you don't do that, right? You only have babe, you only have him sleeping on the back because of you know things that could happen, um, and it was. We were terrified. We were terrified of this, but um, I mean, he had enough neck control and neck strength to be able to sleep on his stomach. Uh, But it was, we had to trust God with that situation, and it was terrifying for us. Like, we have a visual monitor, and I'm sitting here at like three in the morning just watching the visual monitor, being like, Lord, please, like, do not, like, you know, but I, I'm limited, I, and I'm limited in my capacity and ability to protect and watch over my son, and uh, and so I had to trust God, you yeah. know, I had to trust God in, in that scenario, and um, please don't call child services on us for something like that, I mean, like, but it was, I mean, like, he could not sleep on his back, and get, he would just, he would cry constantly through the night until he would, and he was so much more comfortable sleeping on his stomach, and yeah. so, like... How many times did you hold your breath...
0: And watch the monitor real close just to see if his back was moving. Oh
1: my gosh, I do that every night. Yeah, every night, and it was terrifying for me. And the Lord was just even saying, He was like, like there's some there's things you just have to trust me with, right? There's yeah. a, and uh, there's a, a scripture that says like, unless the Lord is watching over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. Oh. You know, unless the Lord is building the house, the builders and the laborers work in vain. And and that spoke to me as a parent, and it said, unless the Lord is parenting my child and watching over my child, like I parent in vain. Because there's so many things that are out of my control, and I'm so limited, and in my own weakness, I need to sleep, I need to eat, I need to do all of these things that that need to uh, that I need to do to sustain me. Where God is completely self-sufficient, and He is able to watch over and care for the people that I love. Uh, so much more than I can, and so there had to be just kind of like a release, almost like there had to be a release for Moses's mother, where she just had to she had to do everything that she could to put Moses in the best possible situation, and then had to trust God with everything that was out of her control and out of uh, and. Um, and so that is just kind of, for me, drew a lot of like similarities to our personal experience. Obviously, you know, our son wasn't in the grave danger that Moses was in, but, uh, but either way, it was, it was, it was an act of trust for us to trust God with the things that were unknown or the things that we couldn't control, uh, and know that he is always at work. And, and I think that also, I see that kind of at the end of this chapter here, Mm -hmm. because, the Israelites are in a terrible situation, right? And and it's almost like at the very end, you see that God, as uh, he his timing is is very intentional, right? He knows that now is the time to act. Like my 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 translation says, he uh, verse twenty five, it says that he looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. And, and I think that that makes it really hard for us in the in between, when. Uh, When we are in a terrible season and we ask God to come and rescue us or ask God to come take us out of this situation, uh, we're in whatever it may be, and and God hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't, he doesn't, uh, he hasn't like missed us. Like he hasn't like, oh my gosh, oh, I I didn't even notice that Michael was in this grave pain and this terrible situation with his family or terrible financial situation, whatever it may be, you know, he knows and he knows that his timing is going to go is going to go perfectly with what's going on in our situation, what's going on with the Israelites here, and so that's where I think that is it's it's like you see the sovereignty of God there that he that there was the there was a time to act, there was a time to intervene. Like he had seen what was happening, and he was putting it all together uh, to create this amazing story and to preserve and to build the people, but also to show his likeness and his glory.
0: Yeah. And you talk, you talk about having earlier about having, um, the opportunity to shape your civilization with the decisions that you're making and the things that you're doing. And, um, I wanted to touch on what you were talking about with not just the courage of the, of the Pharaoh's daughter for taking, um, Moses in, because that was obviously very courageous of her to do. Um, but also just her heart behind that, yeah. because something near and dear to me, uh, some people know, some people don't, but, um, the community of Blanchester, like, So many people played a part in raising me because they took me in. I was a kid that um, I had a a great family, but um, my parents divorced very early uh, when I was about six months old and we spent times um, living with different people at times and living with my grandparents and things like that. And I just always was very blessed. God always had his hand on me when it came to having good friends and their parents stepping up and stepping out. And having faith and trust in me and supporting and pouring into me. I mean, I had when I was in high school and junior high, I had keys to probably five or six different houses around <laughs> Blanchester, um, because I had just great friends with great parents who really cared, and they saw that sometimes, um, you know, I it, it would be a long drive home after a late night of soccer or something like that, or you know that that I just needed to kind of get away for a little while or whatever whatever it was, and um, they just were like here our house is your house. They took me in, you know, um, I'll even, some of them like Bill and Sharon Jordan, um, CJ Coyle, uh, his, he was one of my best friends, his parents, um, Joe and Stacy, um, Jason Smith, Ed and Joe Smith, um, Reed Radcliffe, his mom, like so many people around town just really took me in. And just every time that I see this in this chapter, I see her taking this child in and giving it a chance and being there. And, um, I'm not the biggest fan of the whole ideology of it takes a village, but in my case, the village really helped a lot. I had great parents. I had great grandparents. I am not, uh, putting them down at all. You know, my childhood was a little bit different, but it was still a great childhood, but man, so many times that my friend's dad would, would be out in the garage with, my friend, and then I'd be out there with them and they'd say, come here. And they'd like take me under their wing and they'd show both of us at the same time how to work on this engine or change the oil or change a tire, all those different kinds of things, how to install a ceiling fan, just so many different things that they were teaching me a lot more than just Um, how to do those things. Mm -hmm. They were letting me feel that family experience. Um, My dad lived, um, I have a great relationship with him, but he lived in Atlanta, Georgia for about 10 years of my life when I was in those developmental years of like five to 15 or so. Mm -hmm. So I got a lot of my dad time from my grandpa on my mom's side, um, my stepmom's dad, um, and then also a lot of my friends' dads and stuff like that. So I was poured into by so many people that didn't have to pour into me. So... That's just such a thing that means so much to me that I hope that um as my kids get older and as that I'm involved in this community and in this church family, that I get the opportunity to have those those chances to pour into kids and, as and well that's
3: what we're <clears throat> that's what we're trying to build here, yeah that you know is, as the, as as the a children's director that, that's what i what I want to do I think that's what God wants with us is is for us to build friendships and and you know to get parents to to partner up with with us. And with our peers, you know, with with just different families, different parents, that we can all work together. Maybe I'm probably more along the lines of it takes a village than you are, but it <laughs> takes but it takes the right sure. village. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think one thing as as parents that we have to do is, is to be careful that we don't put our kids in the wrong village. Yeah. So you know, you and I are blessed to to grow up here, and this was a good place, literally a village. But um, yeah, but but the metaphor, I, I think that partnering up with us a church, I think we we're, we're here to help. You know, we're not just some somebody that's trying to just steal your kids. We want to partner with parents to help you raise your kids, to help you make good adults. You yeah. know, and so that that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to be that village component. We're trying to help.
0: Yeah, and I didn't I didn't mean to take us off of the scripture for today no, and, no, and no. hijack that at all. But um, I, it I, is one of the things that I'm really proud that we are making a priority at this at this church for what we're trying to do is because the next generation is so important. And as a church, we're called to, to pour into the next generation and to raise them up mm-hmm. in the ways that, that God tells us are the right ways in this world for them to know right from wrong and and to know better, you know? So I'm, I'm very happy to be a part of that and be at this church. I will say something else with this scripture that's
3: that's interesting to me that I really just now thought of. I had never pondered this. We talk about, you know, who, get, who pours into you and, and how things turn out. Yeah. Moses is... I mean, after he's basically weaned, he's raised in the house of Pharaoh, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's basically an Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, imagine the schooling that he would have went to, the things that he would have learned. It wasn't the Torah, because he wrote it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like, <laughs> it, but but it wasn't like Abraham, it, 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 it wasn't those stories, right? He he may not have grown up with all that. So, so then he kind of like comes to this realization, and this is in, in later chapters, but like, oh man, you know, I'm... I mean, I'm, I'm a Hebrew and I'm seeing these Hebrews being mistreated. Mm-hmm. And so we know that how the story goes, he kills a guy and he runs away. But like, and when it comes to that moment of realizing who he is, he doesn't stop and study with the Jews. Mm. We see here, whoops, <laughs> making noises over here, guys. Bumping
0: my, I'm, I'm really, really graceful. Bumping <laughs> my head into stuff. Well, just real quick, uh, you're talking about, he's an Egyptian. He's so much an Egyptian that when he's at the well, they don't go home and say, Hey, we met a Hebrew that lived in Egypt. They say, we met an Egyptian that helped us. Yeah. Yeah. So where does he go? He goes to Midian. Now
3: that, that is just crazy. If you follow the rest of the story later on, one of the darkest stories in the, in the, in the Bible has to do with killing Midianites. Okay. Mm. Um, and we'll get there when we get there, but you know, Midianites are bad guys in the Bible. And he marries a Midianite. Mm -hmm. So he spends, this isn't like, see, we just turned the pages or even in this case, it's not even a page, you know, (laughs) this stuff, he was gone for like 40 years. Yeah. Okay. This is not like he just spent a passing moment in in, in this wilderness. He spent about 40 years raised in in Egyptian culture. Mm -hmm. And then he spends about 40 years with Midianite culture. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then by this burning bush, God calls him back to Egypt to free his people. The reason why I mentioned that in this story, and what just appeared to me as, as we we're looking through this, is we are very quick to to take people that have a different upbringing or a different thought or a different opinion or a different even belief system, and call them names and 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 call them false prophets, you know, because they don't agree with us. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being a Hebrew slave, as this? Egyptian slash Midianite guy that happens to share the same blood as you do, coming and saying, I'm going to go free these guys. And then he starts writing scripture and says, hey, this is how things are. This is how God's talking to me. He talked to me through a burning bush, Daniel. Okay? You are a Hebrew guy, right? You've heard the stories of your of your forefathers. Who is Who does this Moses guy think he is? Yeah. He's a false prophet.
0: Yeah
3: right he's a false prophet he is he is no good he's a dirty rotten liar he's not even one of us so the reason why i bring that up is i think as we as we grow and as we learn in today's day and age let's let's like slow down before we start calling people names just because they disagree with us sometimes god uses some people that don't agree like G, like jesus <laughs> imagine uh-huh. <laughs> huh. imagine being one of the pharisees yeah. Mm. When when Jesus starts saying things like, it was said to you of old time, but I say to you, what? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I say when, when people preach, listen, stop being so ju- judgmental. Listen and see what you can learn first
0: and judge later. Yeah. I mean, it, we've talked about that. The key to all of that is humility. Mm. You got to be humble enough to know that you don't know for sure on so many things that when somebody else has a different opinion... You got to have that piece of you that goes, I don't agree with that, but I'll listen because you never know. Uh, a key to, to reading some of the stuff in scripture when we
3: talk about false prophets and
1: stuff, which is not in chapter two. So I'm really doing terrible, but you know, uh, <laughs> so I, say, we haven't really touched on chapter two that much at all, except for the, uh, the whole story with Moses and the uh, reeds in the basket, right? <laughs> sorry. It's okay. No, we've deviated. But, it's fine. But, but, <laughs> but I did a, the same thing. A thought to
3: do this is we tend to read scripture and how it applies to other people. We, t- we tend to like kind of write our rules and so we can judge the world. Mm-hmm. And that's not the point. So when we read about false prophets, when, <laughs> instead of thinking like, yep, this pastor's a false prophet, Yeah. that guy's a false prophet, the, instead of looking outward, let's look inward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Am I a false prophet? Even if you're not a prophet, you know what I mean? Like, a- a- am I teaching falsehood? Am I teaching my children falsehoods? How do I know? Mm-hmm. How am I sure? is it just because daniel or phil says so or 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 is this the truth because i've discovered it you know are we praying about our beliefs are we are we are we studying what how what are we doing to figure out whether we are false prophets or not
0: yeah and and speaking of how we do that daniel's the leader of our small communities here like our small groups and that's one of the biggest things and they prophet. say iron <laughs> sharpens iron right <laughs> like you yes. get in communities you have discussions yes. like we're having today in mm-hmm. bible study and other things like that and that's one of the best ways to really really Absolutely. check yourself you know
1: yeah and uh, and uh, so i think that there is something that is connected here but i think uh, it's interesting to me too the the timeline of all of this it seems like god uh he molds people through process and through their experience right i mean if this is 80 years from where moses is born to it, now he's like fulfilling what I would say maybe his calling would be to set his people free mm-hmm. or to set God's people free. Um, it's a long process. And, and I have some compassion for Moses because he has a really hard time seeing himself the way God sees him, mm. right? And he's made some mistakes along the way, right? Like uh, I think about this whole interaction that he has where he kills this Egyptian. It's almost like God has like birthed in him a passion for the people that he for his people, for the people that uh, that he and that he is uh, the tribe he's born out of. Even though he's been raised as an Egyptian, he I think he really knows that he's still a Hebrew, uh, and so he comes to the defense of uh, Hebrews and he kills an Egyptian slave master or, or or taskmaster, and it's almost like he kind of forced the situation through violence, mm-hmm. right? Like he was like, you know, this is what I'm passionate about, and I'm going to go ahead and do this right now. And it ends up obviously being the wrong way of going about and like Pharaoh finds out and he runs for his life. And I wonder what that was like for that 40 years uh, from being in the palace to being raised as one of the sons of Pharaoh and uh, and now being isolated, tending somebody else's flock. It's not even his own flock, you know, Mm. and and doing that for for 40 years. Right. And. Um, just kind of how that could shape so much of how he views himself. Like he literally, he's arguing with God when God is equipping him to his calling to let his people go. And he's doing it through miraculous signs. Like he's like, throw your staff on the ground, it turns into a snake. And then he pulls it, they grabs the, the tail and it turns back into a staff. And, put it your hand in your shirt and then pull it out. It's got a skin disease on I it, know. you know, uh, <laughs> and then put it back in and it's fine, you know, and he's doing all these things. And and Moses is still kind of seeing himself through that lens of his mistakes. And, and the, I would say probably the time lost, right? He's got a lot of time to think about how many opportunities he's probably missed. Um, But the wonderful thing is that God has the ability and capacity to equip, to qualify, and to call Moses to do something greater because what God sees in us is so much greater than we, either what people say about us or what we even think about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's such a dynamic, I think, uh, shift in identity uh, what I see in this story of Moses to go from this high, extreme high to this very extreme low to kind of back into the process of working back to what God has ultimately uh, called and, and sees sees in Moses. Um, and, and I I don't know that to me really kind of like sticks out and kind of, uh, kind of like following this trajectory of, of his, uh, his identity and who he identifies himself as, um, because, because life experiences can just beat us down and we can start to begin to absorb what we think people think of us. And that becomes who we are. Um, and God's voice needs to be the main voice. Mm -hmm. You know we're in Facebook land right now, as we like <laughs> to call it, and there's a lot of competing voices of telling us who we are, what how we're valuable, what we bring to the table and and a lot of times, man, if we mess up, that label stays you know and and if it's a bad mess up, that label can last for a really long time mm-hmm. right and And so I just um I just think that an encouragement that we can see in the story of Moses is that God's what he says about us supersedes anything that we can do anything that people can say about us and anything that we can even do to sabotage our own, uh, reputation, our own identity. Um, and, and I love that about this story. You know, I love that about that story that God has, has the ability to take, um, messed up people and do something amazing. I think that we, we say that a lot of even at elevation that we're a bunch of messed up broken people that love Jesus and want to help other people, you know, follow Jesus and fall in love with Jesus. Yeah. Uh so you know
3: you you mention like God's perspective of how he sees Moses as an individual as he sees you as he, as he sees all of us individually. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Another thing about God's perspective that we see here in the scripture is the very end of this chapter. Um we we see that that God heard their cry. Now, here's the difficult truth, okay? There was like 400 years where it seemed like nothing was happening, right? Like they're, they're in, they're in, they become in slavery. And, and did God hear their cry then? Yes. God heard their cry. And that's something that's very difficult for us to understand, that sometimes we live and we die, and God heard our cry, but it wasn't his timing. Mm-hmm. And guys, that's so, so hard Hmm. That's so hard, but we see here what happens. See, God has always got something bigger going on. Yeah. See, th- this is hard to explain, but these words were actually captured um, w- when Israel was enslaved like three times later, right? Because you know the story of, <laughs> of of Israel is they're enslaved, they're free, they're enslaved, they're free. You know, they're, it, so. They're they're in their last you know um, time that they're they're kind of captive. That's when all this stuff actually gets edited and pinned down. Uh-huh. Okay, so these these Hebrews at this point in time they get a chance to see the story of Moses and it lifts them up. They get to see that our God is the kind of God that breaks chains. Our God is the kind of God that that leads people out of out of slavery. So, like. If they hadn't gone through that 400-year period, then then people in their future would have not have had this encouragement. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, Daniel? Mm-hmm. Like, what I'm trying to say is God has something bigger. Sometimes we have personal sacrifice for something that's greater and larger for humanity, and we may live and die not even knowing what our sacrifice meant. Yeah. That's a hard truth mm-hmm. because we tend to look at our perspective in our lifetime. But God is generally up to something that's eternal.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think that there's a passage of Scripture, and I cannot remember for the life of me where it is, but it's uh, where it says that David did the will of uh, the Lord in his generation. Um, and I think that um, that's one of those things where whatever whatever your present situation is, um, seek what God is is doing you know he's always working you can hear you can see this he's always working he's listening he's watching he's he's um he's hearing what's going on he's he's active um you know pull yourself maybe out of the the personal situation and the personal perspective that you have. And I think that's really hard for us because we're kind of conditioned in our culture to really only think about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So pull ourselves out of the present situation and say, okay, God, how are you working in here? Like, how are you speaking? And God, how can I respond in a way that's going to uh, go in kind of alignment with what you have going on? Because I think that you see Moses kind of taking matters in his own hands, killing a guy, and then Running away, running for his life for forty years, you know, mm-hmm. and but God is—he's using it. He's using all of the situations for His glory. But God's timing in bringing Moses in and equipping him in the process is now like He's—he's he's doing it the way that God planned on doing it, and God intended on doing it when it came to save His people.
3: Mm. I just can't help getting out of my mind when He said Moses killed a guy. I, I see like Brett killed a guy. Yeah, I, I. I <laughs> I I killed him with the trident. (laughs) So adult ADD wanted for murder. (laughs) (laughs) He should probably lay low for a while. Yeah,
0: maybe maybe forty years or so. (laughs) Um, So guys, we're going to wrap up because we've gone to about forty-five minutes or so this week. Um, So uh, Michael, would you mind praying for us this week? Thank you, man. Our heavenly Father, we
3: um, we thank you for 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 this day. We thank you for friends. And we thank you for the folks listening to the podcast and Lord, we just thank you for you and your and your scripture and your wisdom. But Lord as we look at this this story as I taught the kids, Lord just um help us to have courage um like uh like these ladies in this in this passage. Help us to have courage to do the right thing even when it's difficult. And Lord as we uh, as we you know look at the rest of this chapter, Lord, we see that you're there. We see that you are there, you listen and uh and that you have a bigger plan. So Lord, help us to to be in tune with your your will and your bigger plan so we can be a part of what you're doing, even if there is personal sacrifice. But Lord, we do love you, and uh, we thank you for all these things we ask it in your name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for joining us again, too. Thank you for filling in My for pleasure. us last minute. Um, <laughs> it's always great to have you on the podcast with us because we know that you're going to have a lot to pour into the conversation. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Um, guys, thanks for listening, as always. Um, I just want to wrap up as we're, as we're a few handful of days, I guess, into, uh, into November now. Um, We're reaching into that holiday season time of the year. It's getting colder outside. Um, Families start to draw together. Um, So just keep your family in mind this year. Be praying for them um, and try to enjoy the time that's coming up with them on Thanksgiving and Christmas and everything else. Um, But if you don't have family, if this is a time that's hard for you, um, come see us. Come get involved in a community. Come join a small group. That's what church is. Church is family. Church is modeled after the kingdom. Our Father has set us all uh, to be brothers and sisters and to be there for each other. So um, if the holidays are a tough time for you, uh, come in and see us, come get involved and um, let us be there for you. Amen. Um, and if you're listening and you're far away and you don't have access to us in, in little Blanchester, Ohio, um, go find a good church around you, a good family, um, go get involved and uh, let them be there for you and be there for them through the holiday season. So um, hope you guys had a good Halloween with your families and um We will just talk to you guys next week.